This podcast is sponsored by Synergist Tech. Synergist Tech is a top-ranked cybersecurity and information management consulting firm dedicated to serving the healthcare industry. Synergist Tech offers specialized services and solutions to help organizations achieve privacy, security, compliance, and document output goals. Since 2004, the company has served as a partner to hundreds of healthcare organizations and is dedicated to supporting and educating the industry by contributing to relevant industry associations. The company has been named a numerous research reports as one of the top firms that provider organizations turn to for privacy and security and won the 2017 Best in Class Award for Cybersecurity Advisory Services. Welcome to the SoCal Hymns Podcast. I am Sarah Richardson, and today we are featuring a conversation with David Finn about managing the aftermath of a cyber incident with a strategic incident response plan. David Finn is the Executive Vice President of Strategic Innovation at Synergist Tech. He has been involved in leading the planning, management, and control of enterprise-wide mission-critical information technology and business processes for more than 30 years. His unique experience in risk management and control objectives of technology, including audit, security, and privacy, allows him a distinctive perspective in the design and implementation of business applications and the processes that the technology must support. David is focused on using technology as an enabler of operating efficiency and deriving business value through the optimization and control of technology. He is known for creatively engaging all types of audiences, conveying messages that even change-resistant users listen to and remember. He serves on the AHIS Advisory Board and the Editorial Advisory Board for Health Management Technology. David, thank you for being a part of our show today. You know, your energy and approach and enthusiasm for how to address something that's really difficult to sometimes talk about and to receive funding for and to get traction in an organization, um, your approach really brings something to the forefront that otherwise I think is probably hard for most people to really have enthusiasm for in their systems today. Well, thank you. It is uh, my pleasure to be with you. I am a longtime HIMS member and supporter, and SoCal HIMS has a special place in my heart. When we think about this space, and it's it's ever changing, and it gets bigger and more complicated, and we hear so many things on the press, what does the current threat landscape look like today, and what are some of the latest trends in healthcare that are driving these responses? Well, that's a, that's a great question, and we've certainly seen an evolution in the uh, cyber threat uh, landscape, particularly in healthcare, where the degree of automation and and digitalization of the business really got accelerated in the in the mid two thousands, and by two thousand nine, with the uh, with the High Tech Act and the Affordable Care Act, it drove even more of that faster. So, in the early days, we saw a lot of insider threats and and the people who worked in the organization, and sometimes it was malicious, but more often it was accidental, and that's kind of where. Uh, things started as we uh, automated and digitized healthcare. And then we saw some uh, hacktivism issues and we saw the, for instance, the DDoS attack on on uh, Boston Children's. And when I was a CIO, we had a large uh, research facility, and we had uh, threats from from PETA about our animal labs occasionally. But over the last four or five years, we've really seen a shift. So this is this is a war. People talk about uh, the cyber war, and we really 
are at war. And it, it used to be focused on criminals and it was a war against crime. But but we've seen that shift into espionage. We've seen it, uh, crime. We've seen uh, government agents uh, and government groups being uh, involved in terrorism. So we've seen this shift from uh, you know, insider threats, people hadn't figured out there was money to be made and damage to be made. And we moved to terrorism. And and then we saw this kind of evolution of, of this cyber terror into general disruption. And that's most noticeable, I think, in today's headlines through ransomware, where sometimes they demand money and you may or may not get your data back, but sometimes they just want to come in and disrupt your your operations. There really is no, uh, they're, they're not doing it for a reason except because they can do it. And, and so we still have the insider threats, but we've added all these other layers and it gets more and more complicated and more and more difficult every day. So when you're an, a healthcare leader, you mentioned you're previously a CIO. It's a role I have today, and we have our security teams, and we, obviously we have budgets that we have to manage as well. We have to build these business cases to create strong incident response processes and to get financing to support them. So you say that we're at war. What are some real-world examples or a case study that you could share with us that could help our listeners use that as collateral to continue to share the importance and get the funding they need for incident response to be supported in their organization? Well, and and that's exactly the the story we have to tell, Sarah. This is a business issue. It is not an IT issue. It is not a security problem. When when systems go down in a hospital, uh, IT stays very busy. There's plenty of work to do, and and the security people actually have less to do because if systems are down, they don't have to worry about security. Nobody can get to anything. But what happens when systems get shut down is that doctors can't see patients. They can't see patient histories. They can't place orders. Uh, Nurses can't do their jobs. They can't do rounding. They can't deliver medications on the nursing floors because the cabinets are locked up. Uh, the medication cabinets. Uh, you can't you can't do MRIs or or X-rays if the lab systems are shut down. Uh, we've seen many cardiac cath labs shut down and go on drive-by recently because of of things like WannaCry or some of the the SamSam uh, variants. And so uh, the business constantly wants to make this an IT problem and a security problem. But at the end of the day, it's really about your business. It's about your business strategy. It's about your business operations. It's about your brand. And and it's about trust. And people don't want to go back to providers, the people who they trust with their lives, if they can't even keep their computers up and running and protect their information. David, one of the important things we have a chance to talk about is really the the financial benefits in in having an incident response plan that's effectively executed and tested. Can you share some of those benefits with us? Absolutely. I'd love to. Uh, Obviously, the first thing, and and I think I mentioned it, protects your business uh, in terms of strategy and operations and brand and trust, and that's probably number one. 
but we are starting to see some real financial benefits to it. And, and those include reduced cyber insurance. There's been enough uh, insurance underwriting in this area that uh, the underwriters have discovered that if people have a plan and they exercise it and, and follow it when there is an event, uh, that the cost of, of insurance goes down. So that's, that's a benefit. Uh, for all of us, it's an effort towards crime prevention. I think everyone has been outraged by the ransomware or, or Bitcoin payments. Uh, and this is an opportunity. A lot of this is driven by criminal groups or by individual cyber criminals. And if you have an incident response plan and are collecting the forensics properly, you can aid in crime prevention. Uh, and there may be rewards, who knows? Uh, reduced investigation costs is another financial impact. I think everyone has seen some of the expense around uh, like a, the target breach where the investigations and, and forensic data gathering went on for months and, and cost literally millions of dollars. If you have a good incident response plan and can pull the trigger very quickly and shut it down, you've limited the amount of data and the amount of systems that have to be reviewed. So you can reduce your investigative costs if you do have an event. And then in kind of a worst case scenario, uh, if they find out there's actually a HIPAA violation, there's been exfiltration of data, there's been other violations of the security rule, uh, a good incident response plan that was uh, uh, tested and practiced and pulled, put into place at the time of the event can uh, help you avoid some of the penalties and fines uh, that, that could follow if, if you didn't have those things in place. So you talk about it being a business issue, which I love that perspective because so often we do have to sell things in terms of this is the effect it's going to have on the business. This is the effect on patient care, et cetera. When you are creating an incident response playbook and creating the different teams that need to be involved, who actually should that include both in the planning, the testing, the, um, the review, you know, post finding, et cetera? What is that perfect grouping of individuals within a healthcare system look like for this type of planning? Wow, if, uh, if every situation and every case uh, were the same for every organization, we probably would have solved this. But security, like IT itself, uh, and even your business operations, one size does not fit all. The biggest problem we see in incident response plans and, and putting in incident response uh, work groups together, incident response teams, is they're not broad enough. They tend to focus on the security people, on the IT people, uh, on compliance and, and maybe legal. But again, when you get back to the operational issues, uh, this really needs to be broadly across all the business units. And you may have different uh, incident response plans in your playbook, and, and maybe, maybe the hospital shut down, but your ambulatory clinics aren't, depending on the, on the incident and what's going on. So you may only involve those people who are engaged in inpatient care, and, and the rest of the world's going to take care of itself. But the trick is to figure out some of the issues that could happen, develop plans around all the risks you have, understand who the key stakeholders are 
in those uh, areas, in those business units, in those operations that could be shut down. Know what the priorities are, not only from a systems perspective, we have to understand which systems come up first and which ones we can shed very quickly, uh, but we need to know the business priorities, what's most important to be able to do. We need to know when they're needed. And then we need to have a communication plan because if you're relying on, uh, for instance, IP phone systems or your email or mobile devices, they, they may all be shut down. So you have to have a way of communicating, and then you have to lay in the rest of the players in that. Is that you have to engage legal, you have to engage payroll. You've got a payroll coming up in two days, and, and you've been told your systems won't be back up. Uh, you've got to have a uh, media response if you're going to have to shut clinics or, or postpone surgeries. So everyone needs to be able to come at the to the table uh, in the planning phase, and then everyone needs to be able to exercise uh, their role and function should these uh, plans have to be implemented, unfortunately. But at, at, at a simple level, the core team is obviously, obviously you're gonna have uh, your CIO because it's gonna be about uh, disaster recovery to some degree, and, and then the multiple special, specialists across uh, information technology and information services. You're probably going to want your chief compliance officer, your privacy officer, obviously the information security officer, uh, legal or risk management. Uh, you're going to have to have senior leadership, a CEO, a CFO, a chief operating officer, because this is about the business now. And then you want to have business units, unit leaders, you know, whether it's revenue cycle or, or uh, lab systems or the pharmacy. And most importantly, and it's the one we see most frequently missing, is clinical leadership. You've got to have the doctors and nurses because it's their work that's disrupted and they need to be able to participate in understanding what they will do and how they will treat and care for patients if systems are down. You mentioned all these components and, and the, just the sheer task of planning and creating an incident response playbook for some institutions is overwhelming. And when you think about it being the CIO leading that effort, obviously with compliance and privacy, and ideally, I love that you point out clinical leadership because you're right, it's about how the business and the patient care gets affected. Where does an organization start? So someone listening to our podcast today is going to be like, oh my gosh, I have some of these, but not all. What are the best tool sets out there in the industry for an organization to effectively have all these components at their fingertips? And again, not necessarily stored on a server that could be attacked or go down. How do they get help making this a space where they can feel the most comfortable should a breach or when a breach occurs? That, that is a great question, and it has been a source of, uh, of frustration for me for many years. I've worked in the provider space for over 25 years, uh, the last uh, eight of those as a CIO, and I can tell you we had incredible incident response plans, and every hospital has to. It's a requirement for their certification and licensure, and they practice things like airplane crashes and bus crashes and chemical spills and 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 mass uh, attacks of of uh, 
of, you know, gas attacks or chemical leaks. And we do that day in and day out as part of our routine uh, processes for emergency response. But the thing that is most likely to happen to any hospital today, way more likely than a plane falling out of the sky or, or, or a chemical attack, is a cyber incident whether it's ransomware or just a laptop going missing that has critical data or someone shuts down the power in the data center accidentally and all of a sudden none of your systems are up. So most hospitals have those processes in place. They have an incident response, they're following command center procedures and that is all set up. And when you say to the executive leadership, well, we're going to have a we're going to have an exercise in in 3 months on you know a, a, a chemical spill why don't we instead of doing a chemical spill which we did last year why don't we do a cyber event it's very difficult to get any traction and this is the thing that's way more likely to occur so we need to raise awareness with our senior leadership and with our uh even our boards to get that level of attention uh, at the at, at the clinical practice level or or business associates who may not be as used to these kinds of drills and exercises. Uh, again, it's the likelihood of those events. Everyone has been through a power outage, and we just rely on the power company to restore power and and we expect it'll be back up and then if it isn't up in a day or if it happens in the middle of the day and we have patients we can send them home but what if that were to last two days or four days and and ransomware events or ddos attacks can frequently go on for many many days and the remediation and cleanup may take months so we have got to tell this story from a business perspective and all you have to do is pick up any newspaper turn on the the news and and it isn't just healthcare although we are a target and a and a more likely target than most industries it's it's going to happen to all of us at some point and the best thing you can do is be prepared and it, it inevitably does i don't think there's any of us out there that haven't experienced a stolen laptop that potentially wasn't encrypted or some kind of code that was buried on a website that was um, exploited for, for whatever purpose. And we've had to go through that. So let's assume that we have the documentation, we have the incident response, we have the teams that are set up and you think to yourself, okay, what could go wrong? Something inevitably does at some point. When that happens, how do you recommend getting that team ready to go and really working through the plan in real time because there's that factor of we've maybe practiced this, but we've never actually had it happen and keeping those teams calm and working through the different events. From the experiences you've had in some of the war stories, if you could share with us when it really does come down to that space, what's the best way to really manage it in real time? Well, the, the best thing to do, and, and you've mentioned it uh, once, is is to have that plan written and available. And, and you, you actually uh, alluded to it, but I've actually heard of this happening. The plan book was on uh, servers in the data center. They were available online by uh, with, with digital access on phones, on computers. Uh, the problem was those servers were frozen up, and so they had no plan. So just like your regular incident response plan, 
all those critical people involved in that need to have that hard notebook and gather. Uh, I was involved, uh, uh, and I don't tell this as a, as a cyber event, but I tell it because it was such great advice I got from a CEO. I was involved in the evacuation of pediatric patients from New Orleans uh, during Katrina, and we were gathered in the command center in, in Houston where we were kind of overseeing this. We had multiple open lines and connections to the, the leaders in, in New Orleans, and, and we kept coming back saying, what do you want to do here, and what do you want to do with this? And I will never forget my CEO turning to me and saying, they are in the middle of a crisis they can't think about what to do. You have to tell them what to do. And this is really the whole point of having a playbook. So you don't have to think that much. You should be able to look at it, whether the incident is a ransomware event or a, an employee laptop theft or, or compromised user credentials that are, are being used. The, the incident can be small or it can be massive, but you have to start at the same place. And that's even defining an event. I've had uh, hospitals call and say, this is going on, do you think we ought to do something? Well, part of the incident response plan is deciding when you trigger these events and when you call people in and, and who you call. And so if you haven't even defined an incident, you're going to do a lot of thrashing. And, and that's when, in a cyber event in particular, that's when a lot of damage can get done. If you can make decisions very quickly and shut things down, uh, you can actually reduce the damage that uh, gets done. So you have to define the events and, and make sure everyone has their books and knows where to go and what to do when those events happen. We've seen ransomware uh, attack that has spread across an entire network, uh, an entire hospital's network within 14 minutes. And this organization did an amazing job of containing uh, the spread and dropping connections to the internet and, and isolating uh, critical network segments because they had defined all that in advance. And so that 14 minutes, and they had hundreds of devices impacted, they were able to stop it quickly, uh, and, and the recovery still took several months, but they were able to be up and operating within about 30 hours of the initial, fully operating within about 30 hours. And to most people in the hospital, they, they didn't know there was an event. But this is how fast they can spread, and that's why it's important. You have that playbook, and all the key players have it and know what they need to do. Uh, when there is an event that you've defined and called called that play, so to speak. When you are almost what we would consider, quote unquote, perfectly prepared, there's, there's two different thoughts that I want to explore here. The first one is, are you ever completely safe or secure? Most of us know the answer to that, but I'm always curious about you know us being able to share that perspective when it comes to to funding and practicing these events with our with our teams. And then the second train of thought is around how soon, is soon enough to be able to incorporate this into executive and new teammate training? What is the right level of energy to put around incident response? Because most people have their annual desktop planning or annual incident response, truly annually uh, in most cases. And so what do you think about the ability to share how secure is secure enough and then how soon to bring the right 
new team members to the table to begin thinking about their role in this? Yeah, uh, very good question. And and let me start with the, the second uh, part of that. Uh, just like security training, we used to think you, you did it when they onboarded and you were done. And then we went to annual training even after onboarding. And what we're finding is that that really doesn't work. If it really worked, we still wouldn't have the phishing attacks that, that trigger ransomware and other malware attacks that we're seeing in healthcare because I'm not aware of anyone doing security training either onboarding or on an annual basis that doesn't address phishing. And then we had to go to uh, phishing exercises in many, many hospitals. I would say at this point, most hospitals are actually using phishing exercises where they dummy up email. And and the point here really is, and I once had a, a, a marketing executive describe it to me as a Chinese water torture. You, you can't ever let them forget that this is an issue and you don't have to spend hours on it, but it has to be in front of them top of mind at least once a week, however you do that. And so uh, if you're a leader, if you're a manager above, if you supervise people, you really need to have that uh, incident response training when you come on board, and then it needs to be part of your regular leadership training. If, if you're higher up in the organization and running a business unit or, or have a C in your title, uh, you you need to be doing that on a regular basis. The once a year tabletop exercises are probably not enough. Those should be done. Uh, and, and you can scale these. I'm not saying you need to do enterprise exercises uh, you know, every week, but in your business unit, you should have an incident response plan that is a subset of the bigger incident response plan. And you probably wanna practice that quarterly even if it's only to review it as a team and update it because people have changed, systems may have changed, some of your policies may have changed. So that needs to be kind of top of mind. Uh, it, it can't drop down to the lower tier. And the, the bigger question you asked is, is anyone safe? And, and you know, like you said, there's only one answer and we all know it. And the, the only way to be safe is to have an inner uh, a computer that isn't connected to any network and it is turned off uh, we're seeing new attacks on a daily basis we're seeing attacks by audio techniques uh, people are actually able to manipulate hardware by using sound waves. This is, this is kind of terrifying. We're seeing uh, the, the, the hardware itself is being compromised. We saw the, the Spectre uh, announcements from Intel and that is still trickling down through the, uh, through the, across the, the globe. Uh, we're seeing more and more mobile devices, particularly in healthcare and their personal devices, being used to connect to hospital resources. And we don't even know whose devices they are, where they are, what they're using on them, if they have antivirus. So it really is not a matter of uh, if this is going to happen to you and not only your organization, but you personally. It, it's a question of when. It it's going to happen to you. Again, the key is really to be prepared to know how you're going to respond if something bad happens to you. 
I would be remiss, David, if I didn't ask in all your years of experience and the things that you've seen, what's one of those stories that you could share with us where an incident occurred and you're like, that could never happen here. That would never happen in my facility. Could you share one of those with us? Oh, unfortunately, I probably have a few too many of those, but one of my favorite stories was, and and when I will tell it to you, most IT professionals will be shaking their head at, at every step, but it actually happened, and and it it uh, it took a long time to clear it up, and I'll I'll explain that why, but uh, everything was rocking along. It was the middle of the day at at a pretty sizable. Uh, hospital system and all of a sudden everything in the data center went off all power was lost all the spinning disks were shut down the tape silos they had a robotic tape silo every system in that data center which was all their primary systems was shut down and that included their network because it was their network core uh, and and I don't need to tell you that it was a pretty ugly time. They, they, they fired up all the response units and they started into a root cause investigation as soon as they had power back on. And, and what happened was this. Uh, somehow, uh, one of the people on the console, one of the console operators in IT, had ordered lunch in and had pizza delivered. Now, how the pizza delivery guy got into the data center, I don't know, but he did, delivered the pizza, and when he went to leave, there was a big red button at the door. And to most of us, the red button means you push it and the doors open. But in a data center, a big red button has a whole different meaning. It shuts power down in the event of a fire or a halogen discharge, or now they have new systems. And so the, the guy trying to leave and get back to delivering pizza hits the red button and had crashed every system, every spinning drive every tape system in, in the organization. And uh, obviously, the simple solution was, A, follow your own processes and don't let unauthorized people in the data center. But it was also about the time they started putting the plastic covers over the big red buttons in, in data centers. And so, like I said, uh, you know, what could possibly go wrong? What could possibly go wrong is the pizza guy could want to leave. I, so I'm laughing because uh, I think about the fact I'm like, well, wasn't there a cover on the red button? But you're right. Until sometimes things happen, we don't go back and realize that that was the, the safeguard or measure to be put in place. I'm thinking to myself as you go to senior leadership and you're explaining what happened, the simplest term is you basically have to say in that case, the pizza guy hit the red button. <laughs> yeah, and that boils yeah. down so many things that those of us in IT experience in terms of, of this space. So thank you for sharing that story. I do want to close, first of all, with just saying thank you. You bring such an engaging approach to a topic that really is hard for us to get funding. It's hard for us to be able to get people to want to seriously participate in the activities. And yet it's something that those of us as IT professionals think about every single day. So thank you for bringing really engaging perspective to us. And then more importantly, as you think about um, leaving us with some thoughts today about just this general area cyber incidents, attacks, breaches, notifications, all the things we have to worry about. What is the, just really, as you think about your career and the things you've learned, what's the best piece of wisdom you want to pass on to our listeners? Well, 
It, it's kind of funny. I was reading an article the other day about stress and anxiety, and, and every CIO and every CISO is, is stressed. And the headline of the article was, uh, don't just do something, sit down and relax. And, and I'm sitting there, and that's amusing, and that's good advice for stress. Uh, but all of a sudden, what jumped into my mind was incident response. And when you've had the incident, you start running around not knowing what to do, not sure what happened. And that is a normal, perfectly reasonable response. But what we all need to do in terms of, uh, of our incident response planning is not just do something, but let's today, before the incident, sit down, sit everyone down, and do some planning. And, and then when the incident does happen, we'll know exactly what to do. Then we can say, don't just sit there, pull out the book, and execute the incident response plan. Sound advice, which leads us to our closing thoughts is our listeners are, listeners are going to want to reach out to you or be curious about how to seek your expertise in this space. You are the Executive Vice President of Strategic Innovation at Synergist Tech. How do our listeners reach out to you for further advice or concerns or questions that they may have? Uh, the, the, these are among my favorite topics. So obviously, the, the place to start is our website, synergistech.com. Uh, C-Y-N-E-R-G-I-S-T-E-K.com, uh, or you should feel free to email me directly, and that is david.finn at synergistic.com, and I am happy to take uh, all, all requests. Excellent. David, thanks for being with us today. Take care. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the SoCal Hymns podcast series. Special thanks to Esteban Parano, our audio and mixing engineer, for helping us to produce our podcast series.